Room for Two, Episode 23, Pleased to Meet You. Welcome to Shroom for Two, the Plants vs. Zombies Heroes podcast that is no longer offering a discount to NRA members. I'm Mike. <laughs> and I'm Taylor. How's the ladder, Mike? Uh, it's very, very brainy, very, very stormy. I'm up in the mid-40s right now, and it's been very heavily Professor Brainstorm for the last uh, close to a week at this point, and I got bad news for everyone. People have found out that exploding fruitcake is a good way to take out Wingnut. Seeing all these brainstorm variations is making me feel a little weird about the deck I shared last week in that kind of like, hey, check out this cool thing I made that isn't as good as all these other different versions of it that are out there. Sure, but I mean, you know, first of all, nobody says you have to play the best deck. By best deck, I mean consensus best deck that everybody else is playing. There's plenty of room to win with decks besides the most popular deck. Uh, in fact, I think that that's pretty cool to do, to be able to show up and attack a metagame from a slightly different angle. Kind of like that there's not a PVC Heroes equivalent of like the Tempo Storm meta reports that they do for Hearthstone yeah. and those other games where they have the consensus, okay, cool, here are the best decks and the besterer decks, and this is what they look like, more or less, you know, give or take two cards, and everyone kind of copying that and and going out there and fighting that. I like that there's a little more of that Wild West feel where people are on their own to try and build their own cool thing. Yeah, agreed. Like, that data is cool to see, but it really can kind of poison a competitive scene. I played a fairly substantial amount of Netrunner, a paper card game, for a while, and Netrunner was really big about posting tournament-winning deck lists and people sending in meta reports from their local store and, you know, lots of good deck tracking tools online that let everybody kind of like, it just was kind of a soup that everybody was making together. And it really does lead to a lack of originality on behalf of people that just want to net deck. Like if net decking is a thousand times easier than building your own deck, everybody's going to do it. Whereas, you know, if net decking is, five times as easy as building your own deck, a lot of people are still going to feel rewarded to to just try something out. Um, and I, I think, you know, the deck sharing on the Reddit and stuff and, like, the stuff we talk about on the show is is good to get people's creative juices flowing, you know, but it's not like everybody's just on the same page all the time. I think it also helps that there's, in the highest level of competition, there's a plateau of everyone at Ultimate that keeps the you know, the the creamiest of the creams of the crop from rising up being like, oh yeah, here's what got me to number one ultimate overall. Like there's right. there's yeah, nothing yeah. like that further pushing the, you know, those last couple of percentage points for, for deck win rates and, and all that. That was also a nice humble brag about how you get to legend every time. I'm glad you noticed, Elo. I'm not there yet because I keep losing the brainstorm. I'm sure you'll get there, don't worry. Although... This might be kind of hackneyed, but if you're out there and you're getting real mad at Professor Brainstorm 2, just play Zombies for a while. Like, that is a nice built-in way that this game has to keep from running into that one guy over and over again and causing all those problems where if you if you play Zombies and you play something else, not only will you not run into Brainstorm, but someone else out there will also not in, run into Brainstorm when they're playing you. Yeah, totally. One of the things I like about primarily playing uh plant decks is that whatever i choose to play is not going to be 
the thing that everybody is com- constantly complaining about, you know, really with the exception of click P and maybe hard choke as well for a little while. Um, the focus of the ire has pretty much always been on the zombie side for, I'm not quite so sure why, because the best zombie decks have been very good, certainly, but you know, I don't know if they are worth receiving 95% of the complaining and plant decks get 5% of the complaining. I don't really know about that, but people seem to really get the knives out for whatever the most popular zombie deck is. Well, the zombies were the bad guys in the original game, so that might be pushing a little bit of the bias, but I think also just the inherent unevenness of how the turns work in that zombie players get the last say and what they do before the actual fighting happens. And I think that leads to a lot of, like... Like salty feelings? Yeah, a lot of, I'm going to play this card and there's nothing you can do about it, kind of thing. Yeah, it's... That's that's the kind of, like, experience design part of, of being a game designer, which is just a very, very different thing from, like, having the numbers be good. You know, the numbers can be good, but it's it's ultimately all about your players like perception and like the management of their perception to see that like some something doesn't feel unfair when it isn't unfair you know like you know i've complained a bunch about teleport and whatever but i think that the way this game is structured the plant player and the zombie player both have kind of equal capacity to do stuff on their turn the fact that the zombies get to go like extra last and get the final word in that can feel like they're just kind of able to deal with whatever the plant player does. But um, I think it's actually much more even than that. But I, it's it's very easy to see how someone could walk away from the game saying like, oh, the zombie just kind of gets to always have the answer because, of course, they always have the answer. I lost every time, you know. Right. Anyway, that was me being a dork about game design. Yeah. Let's talk about some plants that the listeners ask about. Okay, so a few weeks ago, we got a question from listener Brian asking us about what Beta Caratina is doing uh, now that Set 4 is out. Because we've been talking a good bit these last few weeks about Citron and other cool Citron stuff to do, but we haven't really mentioned Beta Caratina as much. And really, a Guardian Smarty Good Stuff deck is going to look pretty similar regardless of which hero plays it, you know, you're going to have a different game plan. Your uh, superpowers do enable different tactics. But, you know, if you're just trying to, like, maximize Rotobega, you know, you can maximize Rotobega in a bunch of ways within this class combination. Really, what I think the best way to look at this is what are the power centers of Triassic Triumph in Guardian and Smarty, and how does Citron and Beta Caratina kind of use them differently? First thing, thing I mentioned already, I think that Rotobega has emerged as an extremely strong mid-range smarty creature. I agree completely. Also good for getting a lot of damage up really fast. Yeah, it it, it kind of does something that a mid-range creature really wants to do, which is kind of be capable of, of sniping creatures and sticking around to get more value. And then also, if you're just a little bit ahead, can really help you slam the door. You know, being able to get in six damage in a single block meter incrementation is definitely something that's going to cause games to end quicker. So that's what mid-range decks want to do. Get a little bit of an advantage and then slam the door. So Citron and Beta Caratina are going to enable that in different ways. The The ways we've talked about mostly 
up until now have been stuff like Three Nut, the large health team up creatures that can, you know, block and serve as kind of half threats when you've got your three nut thing going on. But Beta Caratina, you know, with the team up creatures in her superpower set, um, could enable kind of a go nuts type strategy or a navy bean type strategy that allows you to protect your Rotobega in a different way. You're still ultimately doing what Rotobega is good at doing, but you're kind of coming at it from a different angle because your superpowers are different. We talked a lot about Beta Caratina in the past, and when Set 4 came out, we didn't really think, oh, okay, here's a way to talk about how Beta Caratina's changed some more, because we're, you know, between us, we're a little fatigued in talking about how much we like her, because, you know, in our opinion, she's one of the better plant heroes out there. And and that we had probably given Citron some short shrift because we like Beta Caratina so much, you know, like, I don't think that there's just no reason to ever play Citron because Beta Caratina is good and so you know like I've been thinking of even more ways to do Citron stuff like you know I think that maybe Witch Hazel might be something that no one ever really gave a crap about but Citron in this sort of new powered up guardian mode that has been brought about by set four maybe Witch Hazel like finally has some support now the the first card we talked about when set four came out for me was the pumpkin shell and the beta caratina deck I've been playing the most of in set four definitely revolves around pumpkin shell and the things I can play on that to to get the most out of my bucks. So you know you got stuff like Rotobega and Galactic Cactus and Blockbuster, which I've still really enjoyed as a as a three four combo, getting the big five attack thing with Bullseye out there and breaking up some gravestones, but also. Uh, running some legendaries like Shooting Starfruit and uh, Poppin' Poppies on the high end to give you a little more big attack ability and uh, the ability to stay alive for a little bit longer because so many of the zombie decks will, will have you down to nothing before you can take care of their field and bring in control. Yeah, the playing a Shooting Starfruit on a Pumpkin Shell really does seem like one of the grosser things to do with Pumpkin Shell. Even playing Shooting Starfruit without Pumpkin Shell in this kind of deck is still scary enough because you've got so many other... We'll post the deck in the show notes, but this is my Tempo Beta Caratina deck that I love. But, you know, it's running, like, the Galactic Cactus Grizzly Pear Cub combo and stuff like that where there's enough big threats on the board where, okay, I'm also going to play the Shooting Starfruit and see, okay, how do you deal with everything that I'm trying to kill you with at the same time? And we've talked about that Galactic Cactus business like a million times before, so it doesn't really bear repeating in that way. But as far as how Beta Caratina and Citron differ, um, something else you'll notice in this deck is the 4X Forget-Me-Nuts. Beta Caratina's kind of more tempo-oriented gameplay, where you've got your, your kind of punchy creatures in the superpower slot, make the early turns of the game a lot more important. And um, a card like Forget-Me-Nuts is going to hobble them on those early turns and so if the early turns are important in that tempo way then a card like forget me nuts is something that you'd be more interested in doing and you would probably ignore it in a hero like citron unless you were doing some kind of dedicated mirror nut kind of thing and you just wanted to get as many creatures with that type in your deck as possible so like that's a way that a beta caratina deck might be a little bit lower to the ground a little bit more interested in being proactive in the early game I also like one-mana creatures a lot in this evolution-fusion world we have as a cheap way to set off both Pumpkin Shell and Blockbuster. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, Okay, so thank you, listener Brian, for uh, asking about Beta Caratina. Yeah, and you could 
there are plenty of fine nut decks out there. Like a Pecanolith deck will run really well in Barry Caratina, and I'm sure there's some root shenanigans like we saw with your Citron deck last week that Beta Caratina will also holster those just fine. Yeah, you know, the Beta, beta Caratina's two superpower creatures are both roots, you know, and so, like, doing a Starch Lord thing, like, Starch Lord got plenty of ammo in set four, and Starch Lord in Beta Caratina is quite strong. Our next listener mail comes from listener Mark, who sends in a Super Brains Mechasaurus Treasure Chest deck. It's kind of a conjury deck. They're a free-to-play player, so, you know, there's a lot of one-offs of, of rares and legendaries out there but it, the main consensus seems to be playing your treasure chest and uh it it's a medulla nebula deck which is a little bit of a rare sight in this day and age but it seems to take advantage of that pretty well like it's still running brain vendor and it's running four evolutionary leaps to help get a little bit extra brains and on the top end there's a couple of the dinobot mechasaurs and some high cost card draw to trigger that and fill up your board and they point out in the email that if you have your Dinobot out there and the only open lane is the water lane, you will get Mondo Bronto 100% of the time. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's right. It's the only amphibious history zombie, which is pretty sweet. Yeah, enjoy that while you can because I, I feel like that's the kind of correction that'll that'll come the in the next set where it's like, oh, this, this creates a legendary too often. So enjoy that little exploit now while you can. Yeah, but I mean, I, th- I think the... You know, part of the appeal of making a design like like imp throwing imp or something is to be able to kind of massage the randomness. Like, you know, imp throwing imp dramatically increases its chance of of spawning a toxic waste imp if you you know try to maneuver such that the only open lane is the is the water lane. And I think that that's like you know a cool emergent gameplay phenomenon. Yeah, but there's also things like the swabby that you know keep that from being a hundred percent guaranteed. And sure, like like. Any kind of randomness thing where there's a 100% chance of getting one thing, you know, that feels like a, something that's going to get patched up down the road. Yeah, I guess. It isn't really random in that way. Um, but this deck looks pretty cool. Um, you know, the as uh, they say, they're a free-to-play player, and so, you know, there's kind of a smattering of various powerful stuff. But one thing that I see that would definitely go really great in here is Dr. Spacetime. You know, there you're getting conjurations off of Barrel of Barrels, uh, Treasure Chest, Frozen Mustache, Thinking Cap, trip and Triplication. That's a Dr. Spacetime deck right there, you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. And, um, so, you know, the... I mean, if you don't have it, you don't have it, that's fine. It's, like, it's not like the deck doesn't look like it works very well, but um, cards like the uh, the Bullseye guy with the key, I don't remember that guy's name, and things like that, like some of the, some of the just kind of generically good stuff... Um, there's some some extra synergy hooks to build around here that um that are currently going unused. The four beam me ups as a as a filler in there is interesting to me. Like that is a very like it's weird to see that outside of a, a trickster deck. It's like a I trickster, su- yeah, yeah. Like I suppose it is one one of the more like free to play champion cards because that is a really good body at that stage in the game. Yeah, totally. It's it's good for surviving you know until you get to play your your big fat stuff yeah i mean i don't think it's bad you know it's it nets you neutral on medulla nebula and i mean honestly i think the fact that medulla nebula is worse now really kind of enables a deck like this to exist 
at all. And what I mean by that is if Manula Nebula was still making three, this deck would be making a lot fewer trade-offs in order to do what it does. You know, it would have been a lot harder to make a design like um, the Mecha Dino Legend guy because it would have just been too easy to play. Whereas now you got to like really commit to ramping out a dude with Brain Vendor as like your primary game plan and not something that you can just kind of do by accident and have it be great. And so I think it's cool to see a deck that needs to dedicate enough like slots and resources and game plan in order to make that be what you do. You know, I think it's cool to actually see a deck like that. Yeah, Brain Vendor into Medulla Nebula into Evolutionary Leap. That That's a big commitment in this deck. You know, there's four X of each of those. And that is probably the coolest version of Medulla Nebula out there right now as far as getting the most out of it. And, you know, also having Treasure Chest in there also feels really nice because I like that card. It's lots of fun to get cheap legendaries. Totally. I might find a way to put Cryobrain in there somewhere just as a way to get oh, those sure. play your conjure cards e- cheaper or earlier or being able to play two of your more expensive cards on the same turn more quickly. I have a couple of the Dinobot Mechasaurs, but I haven't put them in many decks and I think that's because if a game goes on long enough for me to play Dinobot and get something out of it, I would rather err on the side of doing a bunch of damage and closing the door really fast as opposed to filling up my board because there's a lot of healing decks out there where, sure. you know, you might end up losing the long game to Hearted Show Combo or Walnut Bowling, and I would rather, you know, do something weird with Shield Crusher Viking, which is a, a bit cheaper, but it's also very impactful as opposed to Mechasaur, but this seems real nice, and there's definitely a lot of triggers for for Dino Roar stuff on here, so Raptors could go in there too. You know, it's got it's got a laser base alpha, which you know definitely mm-hmm. opens up for things like Doctor Space Time. There's for sure value in winning in style. You know what I mean? Like, I think that it's cool to to win by like you know making some kind of behind the back trick shot uh, and and pulling off something wacky. You know, like that is just as valid a strategy as playing your giant Valkyrie on the mustache monument you know maybe you'll win less often but as is evidenced by the fact that i don't make it up to legend every month anymore not that i'm trying to trash talk or anything i i find it much more fun to like play a deck that like when i win i really feel like i got away with something than um than just like yup kicked his ass yup i kicked his ass yup i kicked his ass you know what i mean and like filling your board up full of crazy legendary nonsense with uh Zombot uh, Dino is is like right up my alley. Or getting some kind of cheap four drop off of Brain Vendor and still having a bunch of mana left over that turn. Like that kind of mid-game shenanigans can definitely have you feeling some pretty good combos. Yeah, for sure. Alright, well thank you listener Mark for sending in that sweet deck. Yes, thank you. Time for the card of the week. And this week, it is the return of the bonus track, Buckethead. It is a 4-mana 3-4 with 1 armor. It is a hardy dancing zombie. And it says, plants can't do bonus attacks. Yeah, this is um, kind of funny in how almost exactly the same card it is to Wingnut. 3-4 with 1 armor is, like, pretty equivalent to a 3-7. You know, you have to deal 3 damage to it 3 times in order to kill it. 
yeah, I mean, this card is like not setting the world on fire by any means, but very strong. I think it's the only dancing hardy zombie. I'm going to check that right now. But Ooh, that's you... possible. Um, okay. <laughs> it's the only uh, dancing hardy zombie creature. The monster mash trick is also a dancing oh, sure. card. But That's funny. But, that's count. but it, if, you're, if you're looking at building a, a dancing Z-Mac, this is, you know, the main reason you would do that. And it yeah. feels like bonus attack counters for, you know, from the zombie's point of view are a little bit, like, different and more sporadic than from the plants in that, like, you know, okay, yeah, this will shut down a repeat moss, but so will putting a gravestone in front of repeat moss. Mm -hmm. But it also deals with things with double strike or um, or gaddling P. Like, I've outdoored by a gaddling P who who got a first shot in on me by, you know, playing it behind a, a torchwood. Also, zombies with three attack are a little more susceptible to removal because of how rampant the mallet has been. Right, for sure. I mean, the, the the big advantage of Wingnut was that there wasn't a removal spell that directly hit it, but now, of course, with Knockout, that's no longer the case. And Exploding Fruitcake, so yeah. And, and, and of course, Exploding Fruitcake. But yeah, the um, I think you're very right to point out that uh, zombies kind of have a different reason for wanting to block bonus attacks than uh, than plants would. You know, plants are more often blocking bonus attacks in order to not die to a combo. Um, you know, I think it's less often that you're including Wingnut so that you don't die to Frenzy. Right. You know, whereas with this, the the primary uh, mode is definitely like, you know, hosing a creature with double strike more than it is, you know, hosing Repeat Moss specifically. Although, friend of the show, Fugers, posted a really nasty-looking deck in the Reddit this week, featuring 4X bonus track Buckethead, called Swiss Army Knife Smash. He calls it the anti-everything meta. Specifically, it takes a pretty giant bite out of Cycle Cap. Just like counting cards in here that screw Cycle Cap. You know, let's just go down the list here. We got Black Hole pulls your dudes off of Planet of the Grapes. Or replaces Planet of the Grapes. Or replaces Planet of the Grapes. Gladiator means that uh, your dude on Planet of the Grapes no longer draws some cards and doesn't even hurt the gladiator. That's pretty gross. Knockout Knock- kills pine clones. Knockout kills all their stuff. Weed spray kills all their stuff. Bonus track Buckethead is really hard to kill if you're playing a bunch of one ones and stuff. <laughs> Sneezing Zombie kills all their stuff. You know, like there's just kind of a lot of stuff going on in here that really kind of puts the boot into where the power points are being spent in the plants right now. Yeah, as a as a primary plant player, this just kind of makes my ass hurt just looking at it. I think my favorite thing about this deck is the 4X Squirrel Herders. Oh, yeah. Because I, I'm i a little embarrassed for not thinking about this myself, but Squirrel Herder is a wonderful anti-meta card right now between all of the three-nut nut decks out there and also all of the berry shenanigans. This will shut down a lot of really big forces, and it's still... A very unexpected card. Yeah, yeah, I, I love and, that. And it kills Planet of the Grapes. It's like one of the only things that actually does that. Basically, every deck that I've played since Set Four came out, uh, Scrolled Herder takes a bite out of it. So it kills Three Nut and Associated Forces. Uh, it kills Strawberryian, and so like kind of mid rangey berry stuff got a lot of power, and you know it screws that over. Starts with Strawberry um, too. 
Sergeant Strongberry, you know, just like lots of good stuff going on that this deck hoses. And and I honestly, Bonus Check Buckethead has been such a remarkable card or such an unremarkable card in the past that when I saw it come back up, I kind of didn't really think about it. I was like, okay, that's, you know, a roll filler. It's got its uses, but like nobody's going to build a deck around it. When in fact, just kind of as an irritating beater, it does quite a good job of just like kind of being in the middle of the pack and and wearing a uh, maniacal laugh pretty good. That's something else about this deck. 3X maniacal laugh. I feel like I don't see that almost ever. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of stuff with armor in this deck. There's like Garg throwing Garg just like to be something that just owns their face. Basically every creature on here, maniacal laugh goes on very well. Yeah, Garg throwing Garg will fire twice if you're up against like a shroom for two or anything with two plants in the lane. And I like Maniacal Laugh in that it goes well on both of the one-drops in this deck. Like, you oh, know, yeah. it will get you a, a drawn card from a cheese cutter, and it'll buff your, your Gladiator up real huge, and those can both be really hard to deal with. Yeah, and with the Gladiator, you get the double benefit of you get to take more advantage out of your armor, and you also get to take more advantage out of the, like, whatever you call that. Like, where it it takes the damage instead of you, um, you right. know, like... It's you get um you get kind of two x the benefit out of that so yeah thanks Fugers for making the deck that I'm gonna lose to a whole bunch uh, starting right now yeah I wonder what I could put in there instead of Garg throwing Gargs maybe Octo Zombie yeah Octo Zombie or just like some big dumb beastly thing like like Nurse Gargantuar I'm sure mm, would wreck, yeah. wreck their face you know uh, King of the Grill probably Mondo Bronto wouldn't be too terrible what's a big stupid hardy thing um. Undying Pharaoh. Undying Pharaoh, uh, the gravestone that makes your team immune, uh, wannabe hero, just like something something giant that ends the game. Yeah, this like, shares a, a little bit of DNA in common with a, a Gargantuar deck I made last week because I had to smash as my 10x hero where I wanted to mess with healing decks and cycle cap and stuff like that. So I was running Gladiator and Sneezing Zombie and the, the removal tricks to to deal with those common threats, but, like, I didn't think of putting Bonus Track Bughead or Squirrel Herder in there, and I wish I had, because this looks like a, a real good piece of art. So, thank you, Fujers, for making this and sharing it with everybody. Yeah, thanks for taking a bite out of crime, Fujers. Go check out their, tre- their stream on Twitch whenever they stream. Oh, yeah, totally. But, yeah, that's Bonus Track Buckethead. Yeah. Let's tell us about your P deck, Mike. I've been working on this for a little bit of a while. A little bit of a while, huh? Yeah, a little bit of a while, exact words. Spurred on mostly by our fans asking about uh, Gadling P over and over again and, you know, wondering how it's going to change in this new world where it has five attack and four health. So I put together a Green Shadow P deck. I picked Green Shadow because I wanted to also include Primal P Shooter, the one mana 2 2 that bounces whatever it hurts. And also yeah, Rotobega, which wears all of the Mega Grow buffs really well. Oh, yeah. And, and uh, also handles the plant food really nice, too. Like, just plant food on Rotobega, well, that, you know, there's your lethal right there. You don't even need Gatling P. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty gross. But, yeah, I also put in the P patch instead of Lily of the Valley, just because I wanted to see how that turned out. And a bunch of those cards play really well with Podfather, so I stuck a few in, of those in there. Playing a one-mana 4-4 Primal Pea Shooter with Podfather out there is a wonderful boon. Oh, yeah. And at the high end, I put in a couple of Tricorns because uh, there's also some cheap team-up things and 
it wears the buff from P-Pats wonderfully, it turns into a 6 attack thing that attacks 3 lanes, that's almost enough damage to win right there. And I stuck in my Potato-saurus last minute when I unlocked it, because, you know, when you get a new Legendary for the first time, you want to put it in every deck of that color, just to kind of see how it feels. And this deck's been doing pretty well. It's very... it's not an aggro deck, but it is still aggressive in how much damage it can do real fast, and being able to fill up the board quickly with a lot of stats is real nice. Grave Mistake is really good for being able to keep your stuff alive for a little bit, little bit longer, or if you want to develop an extra thing and, you know, stay a turn ahead, like, you know, that could be enough tempo swing to get your Podfather out there and safe for a turn. But yeah, this runs really nice, and it's a lot of fun to play, and I like playing green shadow decks that aren't just bean-focused, because that feels like the one trick green shadow has been reduced yeah. to in the it's meta old, at this point. old news. Right, and, you know, I want to do something different, and... You know, this is like you were talking about earlier, where you win by doing something with style, and it feels nice playing a P deck with Green Shadow, because it's thematically appropriate. The thing that I think is the coolest about this is um, with Primal P Shooter, it'll always bounce a thing that's bigger than it, but it's more harmful to your opponent to bounce a larger thing, like a more expensive thing. And so, you know, when you're playing a 2-2... You know, they can play a three toughness thing, which is going to cost like three maybe. And then it gets bounced and that sucks. But, you know, ultimately it's not that bad. But if you're going to play a 4-4 Primal Peace Shooter, now suddenly if they want to kill it and not lose a card, they need to bounce like a five mana thing or a six mana thing. And so, you know, that's just like a way to really put a hurting on them, you know, like a, a way to take advantage of those stat buffs in, like, a new way. Like, it punishes them for blocking it with a bigger thing. That doesn't really happen in this game, um, really, so far. And I think that that's pretty sweet. My favorite little wrinkle about it has just been playing it on turn one up against a Headstone Carver or a Quick Draw Con Man. Oh, yeah. That is also a really nice way to destabilize their plans for turn one into two and uh, throw them off for a bit and... You know, there's a whole bunch of things that can help protect it and keep it alive. You know, you could follow that up with your Sweet Pea or a Torchwood and something. Or, also, or you know, maybe even just develop your Pea Patch to, to buff something up for turn three. Like, there's a lot of good early game options in here, and the late game options hit really hard. I'm still sometimes getting thrown off by what will buff Gatling Pea before the bonus attack versus what doesn't. Right. Like, you know, playing it on Pea Patch will not give you a seven attack bonus attack no no it does it does yeah see like i can't keep it straight like yeah pod father yeah. i think doesn't pod father doesn't p patch it's so it's the order is this is confusing yes the order is fusion is first triggered abilities on the creature itself are next triggered abilities on other things happen after that yeah so so like fusion comes before the bonus attack comes before lily of the valley or pod father there you go uh Hopefully, I come can up remember. with a come up with a mnemonic for that giant fucked up sentence that I just said, uh, and then you'll you'll remember it. Yeah, or just play it out there anyways, because e- even without doing a bonus attack, dropping a a five four double striker on turn five is enough to get the immediate attention of your opponent, and even better if you can protect it with umbrella leaf. Yeah, I was gonna say like so the the two x umbrella leaf seems like a flex slot. Um, what yep. are you protecting with the Umbrella Leaf? Uh, 
often that will... Ideally, I want to protect my tricorn, but um, it can protect Rotobega. It can protect a, a buffed-up Black-Eyed Pea from getting rocket-scienced. It, uh... Sometimes I will just use it as a way to block an attack on something I want to keep alive, which I know is not the best use of it out there. Also, the fact that it's a one-mana team-up card means that I can evolve it into a tricorn with something else on that lane for yeah. know, even more stacked damage. Which is nice. I threw two Umbrella Leafs into every Mega Grow deck I made, just kind of out of habit, because... Yeah, there's I, nothing wrong with that. Yeah, and now that Exploding Fruitcake is out there, I gotta protect all my big bodies against... Yeah, that's right. It does uh, it does get Tricorn, doesn't it? Yep. Uh, so if you didn't have the Bananasaurus Rex and the Potatosaurus, what would you play instead? Um, I'd probably put two more Tricorns in there. That was, I was running three Tricorns before I got the Potatosaurus. Um... The Bananasaurus could become uh, another Rotobega, or like I don't, I don't think there's any card that is out. You know, okay, Captain Cucumber maybe. I just, I, I haven't run that in a little bit of a while. I think, though, I, I might just reinforce the c- copies of the cards I have. You know, like maybe throw a third grave mistake in there. I'm not, I'm not running any environments, which might be a mistake. Yeah. Like, you know, Planet of the Grapes would probably go really well in here because, you know, that plays really nice with all the stuff with Double Strike and Rot- and also Rotobega and stuff like Sweet Pea and Grave Mistake to keep stuff from being in the lane your opponent wants it to be in. Yeah, neither of these classes have access to a one-mana environment. I probably wouldn't run Peapod. Like, I think just Primal Pea Shooter, or, yeah, Primal Pea Shooter is a better choice at this point. Peapod. Uh, that's the one that the one one that grows. Oh right, of, of course. Yeah. Um, you know, fire pea shooter could go in there to substitute for you know maybe black IP if you're up against a lot of things with three health. Probably wouldn't run snow pea. I'm just looking through all the different peas at this point. Uh, I don't think I'd run uh, three Peter. I think I would stick with tricorn. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I mean, it's the in terms like. To me, I'm thinking um, Bananasaurus Rex is like something that wears buffs really well. And so if you wanted something that wore buffs, you would probably want something with a high health to attack ratio. And so that would be something like, you know, maybe even Moonbeam, um, which is like kind of out of faction or out of like tribal synergy, but like definitely sits there getting buffed by stuff in an effective way. But uh yeah, this deck looks pretty cool. So how have you been doing with it? Uh, I haven't been playing a lot of games with it, and I don't have any actual numbers to back this up, but it it feels like it wins most of the time I send it out there. It, uh, it can end games very quickly, which is nice. Like, being able to bonus attack on turn 5 with Gatling P can be enough to win you the game, especially if you get the superpower to deal 5 damage on turn 1. Like, that will cut a game a lot shorter than... You would think, like, yeah, it might not be the smartest thing in the world to just trot that out on turn one and use it for damage all the time, but the there's enough sources of big damage in this deck where that can be enough to win you a game before the zombies have a chance to unleash hell on you. Yeah, I mean, I think um, in, in the OTK Valkyrie world, um, I think that Gatling P might be best thought of almost like a flamenco zombie, where... Its job is to deal five damage to their face outside of normal channels. You know, that like, since you're trying to close the game out quick, you want to just kind of 
put as much damage on them without them being able to do anything about it as you can and go into the dome for five with green shadows ultimate and sneaking in extra little bits of damage with rotobega might actually be one of the better ways to do that uh certainly in these classes but maybe for plants overall i had a a little funny duh moment the other day where i played my potato source behind the umbrella leaf without even thinking about how totally (laughs) unnecessary that was like yeah super untrickable now and uh Looking at that potato source, i thinking right now about taking that out for Bird of Paradise because I don't have much mm. for the amphibious side of things. And, like, they, yeah. both, they both draw you a card, essentially. But, right. Uh, you know, you get one at the on played and one at the start of your turn. But uh, Bird is also one cheaper. So I might do that. This is just something coming to me now. But in the with the idea that this is this is almost like a burn deck, you know, where you're trying to just like get them. You might even consider something like split P as a way to not only get in cheap damage, but then also you juice your block meter a little bit and then it gets you closer to your uh, five damage ultimate power. Yeah. I think split P might've been what I took out for Rotobega when set four came out, but yes. Yeah, yeah. That would make sense. Split P would fit perfectly in, into this deck uh i suppose podfather is like the bungee plumber magnet of this which i often think of uh of split p as being like oh yeah this is your the thing that absorbs the one mana two damage spell there's options and uh also playing p patch when you have a podfather out turns it into a four four which makes it really really sturdy as far as taking out something kind of big and surviving into your next turn long enough for you to upgrade something on it you know either that or they have to like rocket science or last mission on your p patch which a trade that probably works in your favor because it you know that absolutely works in your it favor. saves your gadling p from getting hit by either of those totally that's like the um rocket science and final mission are like real cards whereas like p patch is like totally not your primary game plan and i mean honestly that that makes p patch a way better late game draw than than lily of the valley ever was and, um, you know, I think in, in this kind of second act of Lily of the Valley, you know, post-nerf, to see um, kind of a much more straightforward card like P-Patch kind of rise to the top and, and kind of beat it on the merits, I think that that is a, a pretty cool idea. Yeah, P-Patch also works better up against an assumed sumo zombie gravestone in that, you know, sumo zombie can move Lily to the heights or in front of it and kill it. Whereas with P-Patch, you don't care as much about what lane it ends up in. Yeah, yeah. and for that reason, always play your turn two P-Patch in front of Gravestone, BT-Dubs. Yeah, even if it just kills a uh, Swashbuckler or or whatever is fine, and, you know, maybe it'll go into a, a Teleport Zombie and, you know, survive long enough for you to play something actually strong in front of it and kill it on turn three. Yeah, either it takes a chunk out of their um, drone guy... Or it, uh, you know, you don't feel like a chump because you, you lost your P-Patch to a sumo zombie for no reason. But if you want to not be a chump, uh, you should play this deck. Yes, and if you would further not want to be a chump, you should get in touch with us at shroomfor2podcast at gmail.com. That's right. Uh, we want to hear about decks and stuff, just kind of what you're experimenting with in this set four world. Maybe upcoming event cards that you know are coming and you are excited to hear about. Um, you know, maybe tell us what you're excited to see. Um, but yeah, until next time, uh, I'm Taylor. And I'm Mike. 
See you next week, everybody. Bye. You've heard that, right? That was like some legendary... Is that like a Jolly Green Giant joke? No, it's it's a reference to some old Orson Welles radio read, I no think. Kidding. Where like, at this point, I can't really separate the urban legends away from parodies of it. Right, sure. But apparently there was some ad for some farm-grown peas that, you know, emphasized their fresh green pea-ness. Wow. is before the art of ad reads really got uh, fully developed i guess it could also have been like a like a deleted take kind of thing because i i feel like there's a youtube video of it somewhere where he's like what the fuck why did you really put this in here and also he's drunk because <laughs> he's orson wells and that's what oh he yeah he was he was absolutely hammered constantly